Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, let's give God some praise this morning. Hallelujah. Good to be with you in the presence of the Lord in the Lord's house. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm happy you're here. And I want to thank you for being faithful to the house of God, for all those who serve and serve diligently and serve with excellence. I want to thank uh, Pastor Chad and Pastor Karen for allowing me the opportunity to stand before you today. Let's give it up for our pastors. If you're in here, um, you're usually in the uh, uh, middle school. Uh, middle school students can be dismissed to go to their class. Today I want to talk to you about kingdom mandate. You know, we are mandated by God in his kingdom to carry out his kingdom upon this earth. We're mandated to bring heaven to earth. That is our mandate. And today my mandate is to teach us more about who we really are. Because it's important what we think about ourselves. It's important how we conduct ourselves and that we do reflect who we really are. In this day and time, how many of you know we need to be about our Father's business? Amen. Amen. We do. We have got to be about our Father's business. You know, Jesus at the ripe age of 12 was about his Father's business. He was in the temple at Jerusalem. His parents had uh, gone home. They'd gone a day's journey. They assumed that he was in the crowd. And uh, when they'd stopped, they couldn't find him among the friends and relatives, so they went back to Jerusalem. After three days, they found Jesus. He was in the temple. And his, his mom, Mary, said, why did you do this to us? And he said, well, shouldn't you know that I would be about the father's business? I would be about my father's business. And she treasured these things in her heart. What I find so important about that section of scripture is the fact that it seems like he was saying, why were you searching for me? Why were you, shouldn't you have known where I would be? Don't you know where to find me? I'm going to be doing God's work. I'm going to be where God's moving. I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. And that is where we should be today. In this day and time, it shouldn't be hard to find you. It shouldn't be hard to find the followers of Jesus. They should be about the Father's business. And that is our mandate. I'm going to go through five things today. They're, they're spread throughout uh, the message on um, what we need to do with this mandate. So number one is we need to be prepared to fulfill the mandate. If we don't plan to do it, we plan not to do it. If we don't plan to do it, you're planning not to do it. If you go out here and you say, well, I'm going to go to the gas station and I'm going to get some gas, but you don't take any money with you. You didn't plan to do it, so you're not going to do it. It's not going to happen, right? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. We have to have this in place. We have to have these guardrails on our life so that we know how to be about the Father's business. We have to prepare. We have to be ready. Everybody say, be ready. You got to be ready. Number one, we have to be ready, have to be prepared. 
in 1 Peter 3, 13 through 16, the word says, and he, and who, is he who will harm you if you be followers of what is good. But even if you suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. And when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. In verse 15, there's a lot of good stuff that we can pull out of that section of scripture, but in verse 15, when it says, be always ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason, ask you a reason for the hope that is in you. You have to be ready. You have to be ready. Be prepared. Because when someone, someone's going to ask you, someone's, <laughs> I heard a story. This, 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 this is an awesome story. There was a, a man on a plane and the flight attendant had walked by him and she stopped and she stepped back and she said, what makes you think everything's okay? He said, what? She said, what makes you think everything's okay? He said, you really want to know? She said, yeah. So he told her about Jesus. And she said, I knew you were a Christian. <laughs> she wasn't, but she knew he was. But she could tell that just by walking by him and he's sitting there. Why? Because he has joy, because he has peace, because he has hope. He has what this world needs. And he was prepared to give a defense he told her about the Lord. He didn't say, well, you know, I'm just having a good day. No. He offered up a defense when he was asked to give a reason for the hope that was in him. We know it's our responsibility to know God's will, to do God's will. So we have to plan to carry out that mandate. Number two, be ready for persecution. Be ready for persecution. We have to guard ourselves against that. Otherwise, when it comes, we want to back off. It doesn't feel good. It goes against the flesh. It hurts. We don't like that. So we have to prepare ourselves in advance for when it comes, we'll be able to stand. So set within yourself that nothing can stop you from fulfilling the mandate. Grow in your boldness. Step out and do more for God. Increase the amount of experiences that you have with God and increase your walk with him. The enemy works by fear, and that's how persecution comes. It's, he's trying to scare you. He's trying to get you to back off. Why? Because you're a threat. You're a threat to him. You're destroying the works of darkness. And because you're intimidating him, he's trying to intimidate you. He's trying to scare you. Matthew chapter 10, verses 25 through 30. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And that which you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? 
and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Wow. In this section of scripture, he's talking about how they're coming, how they came against Jesus. They said, yeah, he cast out demons, but he does it by the prince of the demons. That's how he does it. They were speaking that kind of evil against him. And what it's saying here is, it's enough for a disciple to be like his master. We're to be like Christ. We're to be like our teacher. And if they came against him like that, they're going to come against us like that. What did he say? He said, don't fear them. Don't fear them. Why? Because he said they can only destroy the body. Anything that can only destroy your body is not to be feared. I don't care if it's a sickness, a disease, if it's another person, if it's whatever it happens to be, it's not to be feared. Is that not what it says? Do not fear what can only kill the body, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's one. That's God alone. That's reverential fear for the father because he's the only one who can destroy both body and soul. So we get, we, we get in a right mind frame then we're gonna be ready for persecution because we know that nothing they can bring against us can destroy us. They kill the body. I'm still, I, I'm, they didn't get rid of me. They got rid of my body. Okay, you tore down my house. <laughs> I'm in the presence of the Lord. You have to have that mindset. You have to have that mindset if you're going to withstand persecution. And let me tell you, when you take that stance, God can do amazing things. This is a thought that came to me dwelling on that scripture. When man comes against you and, and brings threats against you, we know it's the spirit behind man that does that. But when, when, uh, when those threats come, <laughs> this is what came to me that comforts my heart. Every human is as a particle of dust in the vastness of eternity. And yet God knows my name. There's nothing man can do to you. Don't worry about man. He's a particle of dust in the vastness of eternity. They threaten you. What's that to you? You're linked up with God. You're part of the kingdom. You have a mandate. Just act like you didn't hear him. That's what we have to do. We have to have that mindset. Number three, know the mandate maker. Know who made the mandate. Who made, who did you make the covenant with? You know, when you make a covenant, there's no way out, right? <laughs> you make a covenant, there's no way out. That's a covenant commitment. God's not getting out of the covenant. So know the Father's heart. You have to be acquainted with the Father's heart if you're going to know the mandate maker. You have to know him and continue to grow in him, in the knowledge of him. Spend time with him. Acknowledge him. And there's really, there's something powerful about publicly acknowledging the Lord. When you publicly acknowledge your faith in God, it just builds you up. It builds you up. What do you think about the baptisms? Publicly acknowledging the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. So who is this God? You have to know who he is. Who, who is this who, who commands us to reverently fear him, who commissions us to reach a lost world with his good news, to establish his kingdom on this earth? If we are truly ambassadors, that the word 
calls us ambassadors of the kingdom. We're here to set up and colonize the world to look like the kingdom of God. That's a big mandate. Now, who is this God who would require so much of me? We have to find out who he is, know his nature and his character. He is never changing. He is an eternal constant. What he loves today, he will love forever. What he hates today, he will hate forever. And I know a lot of us, we've heard about the love of God, but what about his hate? What about what he hates? It stands to reason that if he's love, he has to hate things that destroy love. We're going to go through some Bible verses about what he loves, and then we're going to look at what he hates First one here about what he loves. God loves in 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 9 said, Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. He was speaking to Solomon, King Solomon at this time. God loves Israel. Israel's his chosen people, his chosen people to bring the Messiah into the earth to bless all nations. It's not his willing that any should perish, not his will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But he blessed us through Israel. Israel was his chosen vessel, and it says he loves Israel forever. Amen? Amen. Let's see what else that the Lord loves. In uh, Psalm 33, verse 5, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. He loves righteousness and he loves justice. Why? Because he's righteous and he's a just judge. He loves justice. He loves righteousness. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God so loved, he gave. He loves a cheerful giver because you're like him. You're like Christ. You're like God. The Holy Spirit loves that. These next three verses, you can sum them up in God loves you, or you can say, God loves me. Everybody say, God loves me. God does love you. In John 16, 27, for the father himself loves you because you have loved me. This is Jesus speaking and have be believed that I came forth from God. First John 4, 10 says in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the, the propitiation for our sins or the atonement for our sins. 1 John 4, 11, beloved, if God so loved us, so it says God so loved us. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Amen? Now we're going to look at some things that God hates. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, in the Amplified, it says this, these six things God, or these six things the Lord hates, indeed seven are repulsive to him. Number one, a proud look. The attitude that makes one overestimate oneself and discount others. He hates a proud look. A, number two, a lying tongue. He hates a lying tongue, a false witness. He hates it. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. 
And I submit to you, I know of no one more innocent than a child in the womb. He hates those who shed innocent blood. Number four, a heart that creates wicked plans. You know, it's, it's the heart that defiles. What comes out of a man is what defiles the man. We learn that in scripture. It's not, the, you know, the Pharisees and the, the, the religious people of the day were getting on to Jesus, his disciples for not washing their hands because that would defile them. And Jesus uses that to say it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's not food or, or, or eating with unwashed hands, but it's what comes out of a man. It's what comes out of the heart. He hates a heart that creates wicked plans. Number five, he hates feet that run swiftly to evil. He hates that. Number six, he hates a false witness who breathes out lies, even half-truths. And number seven, one who spreads discord or rumors among brothers. He hates that. He hates that. He's a God of love, a God of unity, a God of one. He wanted, what, what does his word say? That we all become one. One. He hates things that divide. I've got one more in Malachi 2, verse 16 in the Amplified. The word of God says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with wrong and violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, keep watch on your spirit so that you do not deal treacherously with your wife. He hates divorce. He instituted marriage and he hates divorce. This is not an exhaustive list of love or hate as far as the, what the Lord loves or what he hates. This is only intended to give you examples of God's character so that we can compare and contrast our actions with the heart of the king. Do we love what he loves? Do we hate what he hates? We have to know the mandate maker. Number four, we have to live the mandate. Now we have to live this out. It's not enough just to know it. This, this is something we have to keep in the forefront. We do not recreate those who do as we teach. We recreate those who do what we do. More is caught than is taught. You can tell somebody how to do it, but if they see you modeling it in a different way, they're going to do it that way. You only will recreate. You're like a seed. A seed reproduces after its own kind. You're not going to plant corn and a tomato is going to come up. No. Corn's going to come up. You can only reproduce after your own kind. So living out this mandate, we have to get it right. We have to disciple others into Christ. So we first have to look like Christ. So what are the reasons why you don't look more like Christ? Are there hurts? Are there fears? I know there are. I know that there's experiences in your life. There are things where you got burned. It hurt. I stepped out. I tried to do the word. I did what the word says. It didn't work. So you step back. Now you're not looking like Christ because you're not living the word. You still know the word. You still know how it says to reconcile with your brother. You still know how the word says how to deal with controversy, how the word says to, 
uh, to honor how the word says to live your life, but you're not doing it because it hurt and you stepped back. We've got to get over that. You have reasons. I know you have reasons. You have wounds. You have hurts. You have those experiences. You have lots of reasons. I have lots of reasons. But none of us have an excuse. There's no excuse for you not to be obeying the mandates of God and living out the life that looks just like Christ. I know a lot of times you think that God has forsaken you in that time in your life, not that you think that now, but during a time you felt like God had left you. Well, let me encourage you today that Jesus, you have a high priest that knows what that feels like because it actually happened to him. On the cross, there was a moment when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the literal Greek, it says, my God, my God, why did you let me down? The father had to turn his head from, he couldn't look on sin. Jesus had to become sin itself for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. In that moment, the father turned away as if he didn't know him. Now, when you think you've been left, when you think you have been forgotten, you remember that you have a high priest who's well acquainted, well acquainted, more so than you. He's well acquainted. Hopefully that helps somebody today. You have hindrances, but none of them that cannot be overcome so that you can look like Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the word of God. We have the Father who loves us. We need to know the mandate and we have to live it out. In Psalm 103, 6 through 8, Scripture say, the Lord executes righteousness and just, justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Notice that Israel only knew God by what he did. They could see the results of what he did. So from time to time when a miracle would happen or something miraculous would happen, they'd say, oh, God did that. I know God because he did that. But Moses knew his ways. Moses knew why he did that. He knew how he did that. He knew him because he was in communion with him and talked with him and walked with him. So he knew what he was going to do before he did it. If you know your father, you've been around your father for a long time, you know the response that's coming. <laughs> if somebody says something, you're like, well, I know what he's going to say to that. Why? Because you have relationship. You know how he's going to respond. You're acquainted with his nature and his character. In James 22 through 24, James 1, 22 through 24, it says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Imagine if you didn't have a mirror. You wouldn't know what your face looked like. I can't see my face without a mirror, right? Now, when I look in the mirror, I don't want to see your face. I want to see my face. <laughs> when I look in the mirror, I don't intend to see you. I intend to see me. What he's talking about here is the word of God. And he says, when you look into the mirror, 
When you look into the mirror, what is this? It's the word. The word is Jesus. Jesus is the word. When you look at the word, you see Jesus. You're looking in a mirror. That is you. You're seeing what you look like. What do you look like? Jesus. You look like Jesus. That's who you really are. Could it be you're just not looking in the mirror enough to remember who you are? Because what it says is that you put the mirror down, you walk away and immediately forget who you were. When you look into the law of liberty, the law that brings freedom, when you look into the word of God, you become conformed into transforming your mind into the likeness of Christ, right? When you walk away from it, if you forget, it says if you are not a doer, if you're just a hearer, you look like Jesus when you're in the word. You look like Jesus when you're in the church. But what do you look like when you leave here? Do you forget who you are? You need somebody walking around with you to tell you when you need to look in the mirror? Eh. Best thing you can do is go take a look in the mirror. <laughs> you need to look in the mirror. You need to take another look in the mirror. You need to see what's going on. Your best option would be to take a look in the mirror. We all need that reminder. Think about those who've been powerfully used by God. And it talks about the time they spent in the word. I know um, they talk about, uh, well, there's, there's a story of uh, Lester Summerall when he was visiting with Smith Wigglesworth, if you know either one of them. But Smith Wigglesworth, he said he went and he was expecting to hear just, how do you do what you do? He was expecting to receive from this man of God. I mean, uh, Lester Summerall was young. Smith Wigglesworth was old. He'd been doing this a long time, had lots and lots and lots of miracles. And, you know, he went to his house and he was expecting to get this knowledge. And he said he goes in and Smith has him set down and he picks up the word and just starts reading. <laughs> just starts reading the word. He's like, well, what's this? You know, and he sets down the word and they pray a little bit. And he picks up the word and he starts reading again. You know, and, and that went on for however long, all day, all afternoon, whatever it was. And then he's like, well, I'll see you later. <laughs> and sent Lester out the door. And he's like, I went to be in the presence of this great man of God. I thought I was going to leave changed. I thought I was going to receive something. And he said, and then I realized I had. I had received something. Just from the reading of the word, I had received power from the Lord. Just in the word of God. That's something that Smith had already learned. There's nothing that he could have sat there and told him. He could have sat there and told him of all the things that God had done. But instead, he taught him God's ways. He taught him the word of God. So don't forget to look in the mirror. Uh, Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 10. I'm actually going to focus in on uh, verse 5. Starting in verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So to be carnally minded, that's to be earthly minded, to be humanly minded. We're not supposed to do that. <laughs> We're not supposed to think after the flesh. We're not supposed to follow our reasoning 
in the flesh without following the spirit. We have to follow the spirit. To be carnally minded is death. So in other words, to walk just in what your flesh says and not to, to discount, to discount the word of God and to walk in the flesh is death. To walk in the spirit. How do you walk in the spirit? What's that even look like? What are you talking about walking in the spirit? You do the will of God. If you're obeying scripture, you're walking in the spirit. I don't feel like I'm walking in the spirit. It doesn't say you will feel like you're walking in the spirit. It says you're walking in the spirit. So you're walking in the spirit. As long as you're fulfilling the word of God, you're walking in the spirit. Why? It's contrary to the flesh. You're not doing what the flesh wants to do. You're doing what the spirit wants to do. And it says that brings life and it brings peace. So you see somebody with life and peace. You see somebody who's got their mind focused on the things of the spirit. And that's the way we must live. Praise team, please come up. Um, the last thing I have for you here is uh, number five, we have to share the mandate. We have to share it. We have to tell others, we have to teach others, and we have to train others. This is kind of a, uh, um, well, maybe this will get you thinking. Christians practice Christianity to become more like Christ. Does that make any sense? In one way it does, in one way it doesn't. Because the word Christian means Christ-like. <laughs> so if you're Christ-like, you're like Christ. You say, well, you're a Christian. You're like Christ. But think about this statement. Christians practice Christianity. Are you a practicing Christian? <laughs> You say you're a Christian, but if you're a hearer only and not a doer, you don't look like Jesus. You're not Christ-like. I heard somebody explain it this way. They say you're activated, but to what extent? Are you a cloud without rain? Because people can come to a cloud thinking they're going to receive rain. But if they don't receive rain then they didn't, they didn't get what they came for. You've let them down because they came expecting to find somebody like Christ. He's our example. In the Gospels, there's only one example. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's only one example that we can compare ourselves to, and that's Jesus. Because he's the only one who had then what we have now. Before the cross, no one could be saved. So when you're reading about the disciples in the New Testament, they weren't Christians. They didn't have an abiding presence. They weren't light bearers the way we are. So the only one we can look to is Jesus, which is who we're supposed to be like. He's our only example. No one else had what we have. The best way that we can tell, that we can gauge if we are fulfilling the Great Commission is to look behind us. Because we are commanded to go into all the world in Matthew 28, 19. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to couple that with 2 Timothy 2, 2. And it says, and the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men 
who will be able to teach others also. So when you look behind you, you should see a long line of disciples who are making disciples, who are making disciples, and they all should look just like Jesus. That is the picture of the gospel. That is our kingdom mandate. Prayer team, please come up. If you're here today and you have reasons, no doubt you do have reasons, that you haven't lived this mandate to the fullest. You have experiences, you have heartache. Maybe you and the Lord are not on speaking terms. This altar time is here for you today. It's a place where you can meet with Jesus. A place where you can meet with Jesus and he can take the pain out of those experiences. Those experiences will be there. They shape your life. But he can take the pain out of those experiences so that you'll step out again and that you'll live for the Lord. If you need to get right with Jesus, you might not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want you to come to this altar. I want you to tell one of these prayer team members, I need Jesus. If you're online and you need Jesus, let someone know. Let a moderator know. Contact the church. Let us know you need Jesus. If you need a fresh start, a new beginning, your love for the Lord has grown cold. God is calling today. Come back to your first love. Come back to your first love. He's here. He's waiting on you. He hasn't moved. Come home. Come home. If you want to be Christ-like and take the needs of others to the Lord on their behalf to bear their burdens, come to the altar and do that. This altar is a place, if you'll stand to your feet with me, this altar is a place where you can come and go to the Lord on their behalf. Ask your neighbor during this time, do you need to go to the altar? And I don't mean your neighbor at home, I mean your neighbor here. <laughs> you can ask your neighbor at home too, but I'm talking about the people around you. Say, do you need to go to the altar? Can I go with you? Get to the altar. There's nothing that you're carrying that's keeping you from God that you can't leave here today. Leave it at the altar. What's keeping you the same way week after week? What's keeping you in the same bondage? What's keeping you from living the fullness of the mandate? Let it go today. Jesus is here. Let's give him praise. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.